Hi, this is Oren. If you find these teachings useful and you'd like to learn more about my work, you can visit me online at orenjsofer.com or on social media at orenjsofer. Thanks so much. So the floor is open for any questions about the practice or the teachings. Yeah, Jerry. I think this has, for me, very much to do with going back. Great. And I want you to go back to last night's quote from uh, Nelson Mandela. Yes. Which really had my head spinning, um, especially in light of the direction this country is going. Yeah. And all the, all the bad stuff that's out there that yeah. we're going back to. Right. CNN and MSNBC and um, he should, he should not be named. Yes. Um, so can you go back to that quote and explain it? And sure. I think it relates to what I'm asking. Yes, it does. It does. So um, so the quote from last night, um, I'll, I'll see if I can get it right, but basically Nelson Mandela is quoted as having said, I think it's in his autobiography, um, uh, I did. I did look it up to 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 confirm. Like, is this a real quote? And it seems to be. Um, he said, "When you can sit in the face of insanity, and dislikes, and be free from the need to change it, then you are truly free." Mm. Something to that effect. The, the last mm. part. So, what does that mean? We are sitting in the face of insanity. Mm. You know, you look at the climate crisis, you look at the rise of neo-Nazism and uh, far-right ex- extremism, nationalism, not just in this country, uh, the refugee crises. I mean, it's, it's, things are definitely insane in many ways in, in, on the planet and in society right now. So what's that like? How is it to sit in the face of insanity? Well, I know for me, sometimes it's frightening. Sometimes it's overwhelming. Um, A lot of the time it's heartbreaking. My understanding of what he's pointing to in that quote It's about where we come from inside when we respond. Notice the quote doesn't say, and don't do anything to change it. It says, when you're free from the need to change it. That's the key. Because it's that need, that grasping inside to change it, that creates suffering for ourselves, and that withers our capacity to work for change in a sustainable way. When we are at peace and, and, and able to accept the heartbreak and the insanity that we are living through, then we can act from a place um, of more energy and, uh, and, and less reactivity. So one of the, one of the dangers of uh, many movements for social change 
is that mm. they were not adequately, and, and I'm not a student of this, this is, this is a cursory understanding, this is not my area of expertise, but when we work for social change from a place that demonizes the other, from a place of anger or hatred, we risk recreating the very thing we're trying to change. Is that right? You, you with me on that? So, so the need for it to be different is part of that energy. That's a form of aversion. This should th th that need for it to be different. That's there's a distinction in my mind from the kind of grasping energy of needing it to be different from um, a moral commitment inside that says, this is not right. I will not stand by. Those two are not mutually exclusive. It's about the relationship in the heart. And when that relationship is released and freed, then we, then we can act from a place of love and compassion. I want to read another quote that's related. This is, this is from Thomas Merton. It's one of my favorite quotes. And it, um, it'll take me a minute to find it, but it, it's, it's as much about um, working for social change as it is about the practice itself and working for spiritual change. <coughs> listen to this, think about how this relates to that need for things to be different and when that is present in the heart and if that's released. Do not depend on the hope of results. You may have to face the fact that your work will be apparently worthless and may achieve no result at all or even results opposite to what you expect. As you get used to this idea, you start more and more to concentrate not on the results, but on the value, on the rightness, the truth of what you do for itself. So it's that attachment to the result that I think Mandela is pointing to, which is the core teaching of the Bhagavad Gita. Incidentally, to let go of the attachment to the result, the need for it to be a certain way. And that's what we study in this practice every moment, how the mind suffers by fighting with experience because we need it to be different than it is. And what happens when we let go of the need for things to be different? That's peaceful. And then our actions in the world are coming from peace and we can work to create peace. That's, that's my understanding of the quote. Yeah, Carolyn. Yeah, I just have a logistical question. Um, so I'm not on Facebook. 
Yeah. By choice. And I wonder how much, I mean, how much do you weigh in? I want access to you and your teachings and your thoughts. The, and yeah, how much do I weigh in on yeah, Facebook? Yeah, like, is it worth my <laughs> joining that to hear Oren talk and respond to people every week, or do you not go there? No. I, I mean, I am on Facebook and Twitter, and okay. um, I consider it like uh, a, ne a necessary. <laughs> I'd rather not be. I'd rather pay someone to do it for me <laughs> and just not have to deal with it. But um, it does, it's, it's helpful to kind of just be in touch with people and to just be out there. But um, no, it's not necessary. And it's not necessary for Next Step Dharma either. Yeah. And most of my teaching, the best way to stay in touch with my teaching is my email list and, um, and my blog. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I did the Next Step Dharma. It's great. That's right. There are a few folks who have done it. You've yeah. done it, and a couple, a couple it's really of people. It's really great. I, I think we still, like, it's still in my computer if I did it, right? That's right. So yeah. I could do it you again can go back and do it again. This year. That's right. But I, I think at the time when we ended, I did the live calls through the course. Yep. And then I had too much going on, and I just dropped out. But I think there was an invitation to join the live online group. That's right. That still stands. And it's there in the course. Because I, I went to your site looking Just for that link this fall. In here, in Next Step Dharma. If you go, oh, in, it's, go in, it's in Next Step Dharma. It's okay. in week six, or you can also just email me, and okay. I'll show you the link. Okay. When you like to do that. When you log into Next Step Dharma, uh -huh. if you go to courses, uh -huh. it's a separate course that you can register for. The, oh, okay. the calls. So, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the things that's nice about the course is when you take it, it's a six-week course, but you get access to the material for indefinitely. So you can go back to it again. You can take three months to do it, six months. It's it's just there. Yeah, Trish. I, I found myself dealing with an earworm like for at least a day in terms of um, like something, a song. Keep going. Oh, okay, yeah. And... Um, and so listening or hearing was my home base. And right. I'm wondering how often can you change home base? Like, should you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the question just repeated is so she found herself, so she's been using sound as her anchor and found uh, a repetitive song happening. And in that time, it wasn't as helpful to use sound as an anchor and wondering how often is it okay to switch the anchor? Um, it's a flexible thing um, in the way that I understand and teach the practice. Other people would say something different. I need to acknowledge that. Um, uh, it's, it is helpful to have a, a primary relationship with one anchor for periods of your practice, you know, for a few years, and then it's, it can switch. It's fine, you know, over periods of years, that's okay. But it's useful to have one core anchor that you work with over time and develop a relationship with. Um, a, 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 like, it's like having a friend, and you can always just check in and, how's my friend? You know, how are we doing? Uh, and it's fine in the course of a retreat or a sitting if that anchor becomes fraught for any reason with tension, if it's no longer serving as a neutral home base, then it's fine to switch. Just pay attention to the quality of the mind when you switch, that you're doing it out of um, 
out of wisdom and not out of aversion. God, I can't take one more minute of this song. And then yanking the attention away to try to get away from it. Versus, this really isn't helpful. The mind isn't actually able to settle or stay with things. Okay, maybe I'm going to switch to the breath here. And there's that sense of, of, of a careful, uh, clear choice rather than it coming from a reaction. Yeah, I found myself experimenting and then getting a little violent with it, like saying I was going to. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Switch. It's also really common to have songs come through the mind. And it can be interesting, you know, to just see what sometimes the words of the song have some significance. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's not the words, it's the it's the rhythm or the melody is it's the the psyche is like it's almost like dreaming. And it's that more mythopoetic representation of something that's wanting to be known. So treat it like a thought? Yeah, treat it like a thought, treat it treat it like a treat it like a poem. You know, it's not a literal thing. It's it's what is this how does this feel? What is this saying to me? I couldn't see who said that, but I just wanted to pass on my empathy. I had three and a half days of Ryan Adams. <laughs> three and a half days of Ryan Adams. <laughs> I can get you down. Nobody goes to Ryan Adams for a picnic. Yeah, Sharon. You touched on why speech a little bit, um, and also choosing wisely who we spend time with. Yeah. And the holidays are coming up. Yes, the holidays are coming up. And as I shared, I relive Thanksgiving 2,000 times. Yeah. The first two days of this retreat. And I I was able to let go and I feel ready to express myself in a vulnerable way with a person that mm. might change the conversation. Mm. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's a trick, but I feel like I'm not attached to the outcome of that. Great. But if mm -hmm. I share a vulnerability, yes. could that change a dynamic? Yeah. Beautiful. Are there then wisdom on do I wait a few days? Do it on the way home? <laughs> yeah. So I'll just summarize for the recording in case it doesn't pick you up. So uh, holidays coming, family time, replaying a difficult conversation from Thanksgiving, some letting go there, and having the intention to share vulnerably with the sense that that might possibly shift the dynamic in the conversation and any tips on that. Um, I think there's some wisdom in letting it settle a little bit, but don't wait too long. Because as the retreat starts to fade, the heart may close some, and then you may lose the courage or the connection with the sincerity. But at the same time, you don't know how that conversation is going to go, and you're probably pretty open and vulnerable right now. So maybe good to give it at least a day and let some of the armor <laughs> reform a little. Um, as, as, as you know, as many of you know, you know, speech is one of my areas of focus and expertise. I have a book coming out next year on mindful communication. Um, uh, 
leave space for the other person to share what's going on for them uh, and, and, you know, inquire lightly. I don't know who the person is. The different people have different levels of comfort having an honest conversation, being real. Some people find that very threatening. So, you know, um, but uh, you, we can still kind of, you know, leave the space to say, you know, I was, you know, that was kind of hard for me to hear. And I was just curious, you know, what you meant or where you were coming from. So rather than assuming, but just leaving the space for them to elaborate more and just listening some and trying to create that connection, which can help to make them more open and willing to listen to you. Is that making sense? Um, and then maybe the other thing would be to try to frame the conversation <coughs> in terms of uh, some sort of shared value or shared goal. So this person is obviously someone um, who you care enough about to have the conversation. Right? If you didn't care about them or your relationship, you wouldn't bother taking the energy. You would just be like, you know what? I'm just not going to go there because it's not worth my time. So find out for yourself what is that and then start there with the other person. You know, I know we have our differences in views and... I care about you and our relationship's meaningful to me. And I really want us to be able to enjoy each other and have a good relationship in spite of our different views. It's really important to me. And so I wanted to talk about something that came up at Thanksgiving that was really hard that that like you know, I've struggled with, and I don't want to hold on to it. I don't want it to come between us, so I wanted to talk about it some. So you see how putting it that way, it's, it's a good thing that we're talking about this. You didn't do something wrong. I'm not angry at you. I'm actually coming from something that's, like, inviting to join. Okay. Yeah, Doris? Obsessive thoughts. They come up. Um, mm-hmm. Stop. <laughs> just, just don't do it. You, do you know the uh, the Bob Hope skit? <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> okay, sorry. So how to work with that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so um, the Buddha talked about this. It's not just us. Um, he gave five recommendations for working with distracting thoughts. I'll see if I remember all five. Um, so the first is... Uh, these aren't going to be in order. <laughs> the first that I can remember is he said, um, try to replace the thought. And we've talked about that some. And the analogy he used is it's like a carpenter who has um, a, a dowel peg and uses a smaller peg to knock the other peg out. So the mind goes to one thing, 
put it somewhere else. Just think about something else. Metta practice can be really useful for this. So just turn the mind to, to the metta channel. May I be well, may I be happy, may I be safe. May you be well, may you have, all beings be happy, all beings be safe. Okay? So this is, this is one, one option. The next option, um, ignore it. Look the other way. Just don't give it any attention. So it's like walking down a street and you see someone that you know walking down the street and you cross the street you go to the other side to not have the conversation because you don't really want to chit chat. Or you see someone in the grocery store and you just kind of <laughs> go on the other aisle. So it's like that kind of relationship with the thought. You just look the other way. Just don't give it any attention. Okay, so this is a second, uh, a second option. Next option, um, reflect on the uh, ugliness of the thought or the ugliness of the, that obsessive, obsessive pattern. Like, ugh, this is, I don't, this is not healthy for me. I don't want to keep doing this. And the analogy the Buddha gives is it's like a young couple in love, you know, young skin, radiance, shining, hair shining, going out for an evening and having a dead animal draped around their neck. <laughs> so that, that thought, it's like having this like rotting dead thing. You just, I don't, want, I don't want that. Okay, so this is another analogy. The next, I'm going to remember all five. I'm impressed. <laughs> the, fourth, the fourth one is um, like a person who's running and running. And then at a certain point they say, I've been running for a long time. Why don't I walk for a little bit? And so they start walking, and then that's useful, and they walk. <clears throat> and then they say, I've been walking. What if I were to sit? And they stop walking, and they sit, and that's even more useful. And then they realize, you know, I could just lie down right here. And so then lying down is completely useful. So there's this sense of beginning to observe the, the, the disturbance in the mind that's created by the thinking and to sense what would it be like to have more ease to slow this down okay. and then the last analogy he gave you know this one the last analogy he gave he said when all else fails grit your teeth clench your fists and use force to stop the mind from thinking that thought. And he says it's like two strong men taking a weaker man and pulling him towards a pit of coals and throwing him into the coals. <laughs> Grit your teeth. And so, you know, so there's that sense. It's like we say, just relax, be with things, allow. You know, sometimes you've got to be really strong and forceful with the mind and say, no. Don't go there. Stop. Not going to do it. And particularly when it's thoughts that are really mesmerizing and painful, we have to be really vigilant. 
and, and pull the attention forcefully away. You know, run, exercise, put on some music, do something, anything to keep the attention from going there. Is that the last option? That's the last resort. <laughs> <laughs> that that one is it. That one is is in order. <laughs> That's the last one. So um, uh, we can keep going. There's a trade-off that we make in terms of 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 the of the sharing, the personal sharing. So um, maybe just let's pause here and consider. Uh, the questions that are left in your heart and see what, what's, what's important, what needs to be asked or clarified. And so is there, is there any, are there any other questions that feel burning or important? And keep in mind also we have an hour afterwards and I'm not going anywhere so we can, we can chat. Good enough? Great. Okay, last one. It's about. It's actually about the heart. Yeah. And, and um, how do you know what the heart wants and what the heart, you know, what is emerging from the heart as opposed to something as masquerading as wisdom? So, a simple example like this morning, wanted to energy was kind of low and just thought of doing some exercising, and then this is sort of like I went to get my clothes to exercise. I was like, wait a second, let me just practice a little bit. And there was just like going, and the mind going back and forth between the two, and it's like, yeah. you know, what's, what's really skillful here? Right, right. How does the heart know, like, how, how can we get clarity around what's really yeah. skillful? That's a um, wonderful question. Yeah, yeah, thank you. So, my experience and understanding is that our motivations are rarely pure. Mm. They're often mixed. Um, so I find relief in that teaching because it's less about the myth that there is a, a true right motivation and more about the investigation and the awareness of what's present and so we see like in that example you gave yeah there's a part of this that's about compassion that's about you know take care of the body and there's a little there's a little part that's about avoidance mm -hmm. and then and then when we're it's it's about being aware of the range and then we can choose and in some sense, you know, when there's a mix, it's like uh, maybe, the, maybe the choice doesn't matter as much as the awareness of, of the, the range of motivations, certainly in this situation, mm -hmm. right? No one's going to be harmed. We're talking about a pretty subtle thing. Mm -hmm. um, the, other, the other part that, that I've found really helpful is... paying attention to the trajectory of the action and its results and the effect on the mind. So the Buddha talked about um, reflecting on our 
our actions of thought, word, and deed before, during, and after. And it's that continuity of awareness and reflection that leads to wisdom. So decision point, different motivations, feel into the, 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 the embodied experience of those energies. Passion feels like this, avoidance feels like this, the overall sense is kind of a little fuzzy. Okay, you just kind of like, like there's like a, a mental Polaroid you take of like, yeah, this is, this is how this configuration of the heart and the mind and the body feels. Going to go in this direction and follow this energy. And then track it. Notice how it feels while you're doing it. And then notice the result afterwards. And what that does is that tracking starts to create a learning mechanism and a feedback loop for the intuition system to begin to recognize the valence of the energy and the pattern. Mm. So that next time it's less of an intellectual thing, it's more like, oh, you know, there's that, there's that kind of thing going on that I felt before, go in a different direction. Mm. Yeah. And this, this, is, this holds true for also, you know, uh, just saying something, you know, like, well, should I say this? And you feel into it, and it's like, ooh, that didn't feel good, okay. And, and so this is also about practicing with the precepts, feeling how it feels when we do something, and paying attention to the result. And then over time, keeping the precepts becomes less of a mental activity, and more of an embodied, this doesn't feel good, I don't want, the body doesn't want to do this, because it knows this will create suffering down the line. Welcome. Great. So why don't we um, uh, bring all the chairs and cushions in and make a big circle here in the main room around the edges. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.